This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. 7.36 a.m. You're listening to The Morning Run. I'm Shazana Mokhtar with Keith Kam. Now, in half an hour, as always, we have the breakfast grill. And today, I will be speaking to Professor Ilian Mihov. He's the Dean of INSEAD. Now, a Master's in Business Administration, or MBA, was once seen as the golden ticket to advancement in the corporate world. However, with changing attitudes towards higher education and the financial squeeze of a potential global recession looming ahead, do MBAs still make economic sense? I'm going to be discussing this with Professor Mihov uh, and asking how INSEAD has weathered the pandemic and uh, what makes their MBA worth the investment. Stay tuned for that conversation. Uh, right now, we've, uh, we, we, we'll be talking a little bit about politics because Prime Minister Datuk Sri Anwar Ibrahim came into office promising reforms. But as we cross the 100-day mark, the outcome so far has been decidedly mixed. Observers have noted that the durability of Anwar Ibrahim's unity government will depend in large part on the support of Malay voters, which accounts for 60% of the electorates. So we've seen a series of surveys carried out by different organisations over the past uh, few weeks. Uh, it also seems to yield no clear consensus as to where public sentiment lies. And all eyes are going to be on the upcoming state elections in June, which is seen as the litmus test of whether Malay support will swing to Perikatan National or stick stay with the current government. Um, the question we're asking today is, are populist concerns going to affect progress in pushing for political reforms, which have kind of been the uh, benchmark of Dato Sri Anwar Ibrahim's political career. So for a discussion on which way the wind is blowing for reforms, we speak to Dr. Wong Chin Huat, political scientist at Sunway University. He recently wrote an op-ed published in Malaysia Kini headlined Anwar's survival and the middle ground. Chin Huat, good morning. It's always good to have you on the show. I'd like to start with just getting your um, assessment of what public sentiment surveys tell us about the government's approval ratings at the moment. Good morning, Shashana and Skip. Thanks for having me again. Uh, the, so we, we have had two surveys publicly uh, shared on, on Anwar's performance after coming into power. One was by Malaysia Kini's survey during late December and early January. The other one was commissioned by Five Media on their social media platform uh, in February. Uh, I, I would talk about the Medeca Center survey. Mm. They asked two questions uh, directly on the questions of approval. One is satisfaction towards Anwar Ibrahim. Uh, Anwar, fifteen percent of people were very respondents were very satisfied, while fifty three others percent fifty three percent others were somewhat satisfied. So together, you are looking at sixty eight percent. Uh, and among, we, we break down by ethnic groups, the Malay support is 60%. Uh, for government approval, is 54% overall and 49% for the Malays. Mm. There's been a lot of debate on whether or not these survey results are valid. What, what rules of th- thumb do you follow to distinguish between a reliable survey versus one that could be suspect? There are many things that would affect the validity of a survey. The first to start with is uh, sampling. Do you sample randomly so that whoever you pick up, 1,000 or 2,000, can actually tell us accurately about a population of maybe 30 million? Mm. So that's the first thing, but you can have other things that affect it. For example, how you frame your questions, how you sequence your questions, how, how were the question asked in the process? Okay, so when we get these survey results, it's important to kind of keep this in mind. 
Yeah, right. Uh, so, so Chinhuat, with all the surveys that you have you have seen, uh, throw you under the bus here a little bit. Uh, what's your prognosis on the survivability of the current Anwar Ibrahim administration? I think he would be able to survive so far because he, he got the support of Malay, uh, just slightly more than majority. It would be very strong, but that's good enough. That would mean that including a sizable of Malay who did not vote for him are positive towards him so far. Now, but all these things could change because uh, in, in politics, opinions change just like weather. So you have to bear in mind and what Pian trying to to do all the way is to discredit him. So at the end of the day, uh, disregard of what he does, he would still be considered as not doing enough for the Malays. And that's why we have all these controversies on like the movie, uh, indie movie, Mantak- I I want to kind of explore that a little bit, Chinhuat, because you wrote about how important it was for Anwar to retain support of the middle ground. What do you mean by the middle ground? You know, how big is this segment actually? We do not have any figure on this. I think it's worthwhile to explore. But what what I mean by middle ground is that voters who are willing to assess most party fairly, Mm-hmm. and objectively after elections, which means during elections, I may not be even a swing voter, right? But after elections, I would be able to say, now election is over. Let's look at what we have and why this is important. Because only when you have enough middle ground voters, that parties would actually compete more positively, healthily, productively, uh, and, and parties would then cooperate professionally or compete professionally after elections. If, if a society that uh, a society does not have middle ground voters, everyone's become so partisan, then elections is is turned would be turned into a census. We basically just call the votes out. We would not uh, propose anything to win support from the other side. That would be bad. But but you know what? Right now, uh, the discussions have always been centered uh, on on racial and religious uh, uh, grounds. Is that going to be quite detrimental if if Anwar's uh, administration uh, they don't address this issue? Yes, certainly it is. We base we for democracy to work in Malaysia, we need to migrate from divide over ethno religious issues to non communal issues. Mm. So we need to create new divides, whether it's on economic uh, developments or environments, on class and so on. We need to move forward. But for now, what is important is for Anwar to reduce the partisanships uh, in the hearts of many Malaysians. Mm. Why? Because in the past, under BN, decades of BN authoritarian rule, opposition had been uh, marginalized and oppressed. So many people have these strong sentiments against the state. They would just dismiss people on the other side. And now, given the now the new situations, discrimination against the Malay-based opposition is conveniently framed as discrimination against the Malay majority. Mm. This is what would hurt the government. So with all that in mind then, Chinhuat, how would you assess the government's political reform agenda based on their first three months in office, especially in terms of preserving the middle ground that you see as uh, so vital for Anwar Ibrahim? Uh, I do not think the government has done enough. Uh, Most importantly, we have not seen equal constituency allocations given to all MPs 
And this is something can be easily done, but except para, this is not happening uh, in the full sense uh, in, in whether federal or all the states. And secondly, we also do not see uh, the federal government treating opposition-led states just as equal equally as how they do with states run by their own party. And looking at the uh, opposition side, Brikata National doesn't seem to want to call themselves a, a, a shadow cabinet, uh, but instead they're calling it a portfolio committee or something like that. Does terminology matter if the function is the same? Oh, first of all, are they doing the same thing? Uh, no, I would I would uh, define the assistance of shadow cabinets on two main factors. One is to separate the opposition MP in the front bench backbench. In this case, Tian uh, has done so because they have listed out twenty nine front benches as compared to uh, forty five others. Second is the front bench must meet regularly, just as cabinet meets. Weekly, they should do so. And I suspect that one reason that they don't want to do this is that just like the previous opposition, their front benches do not have that uh, determinants or uh, determinations or commitment to meet even weekly. Why is it important to do so? Because if you meet weekly, you can then coordinate your policy. You can collectively respond to the latest development. But one challenge to that is that if you actually have a shadow cabinet that meets weekly, this shadow cabinet would become the real center of power. It would replace the party, uh, Supreme Council and whatsoever to become the real center of power because decisions are being made constantly. Also, in our parliament, it's slightly different from, say, the UK, Canada and Australia, where they are the shadow cabinet itself is well, legitimized in a way. They, they do receive a certain amount of uh, salary. I, I, I'm not sure how much, but definitely less than the actual cabinet members. Would that help uh, our shadow cabinet per se uh, if they were to get something like this as well? Definitely, definitely. So the third thing that would help a shadow cabinet function well is recognitions and resources and also information access. In Australia, a shadow minister is paid roughly about one third of the salary, uh, a minister's salary. And we are calling for the same here in Malaysia. A minister putting aside all the other all the other perks and allowance, their salary is only about 15,000. So we should give shadow minister 5,000. I know out there, a lot of government supporters are opposing to this. They come up with all kinds of reasons to say that uh, PN shadow ministers are just are unqualified or incompetent and so on. Mm. The point here is that just like no matter what kind of MPs you have, you still have minister. As long as we have opposition, we should organize them into shadow cabinet and give them the pay. Why? And this is for the government benefit. We need comparison. If you do not have a shadow cabinet, you do not have a comparison between minister and shadow minister. You would not have comparisons about policy. So then what you have is just constant attack on government minister and policy by opposition without having to offer their own. And this is bad because all policy would have weaknesses and limitations. You can only take the best policy when you have the options laid down on the table. 
Chidwar, I do feel that um, following GE15, there has been this narrative going about that um, there are fears about a green wave. Um, and the, the fact is that uh, we that some parties feel we need to stop that green wave from, um, I guess, overwhelming the country and hence why we shouldn't be giving powers to the opposition. Is that is that a narrative that could backfire on, I suppose, Malaysian democracy? Yes, it would even backfire on the government because the idea here is that by oppressing opposition, you can force them to move away and, and support the government. Now, if this has been the case, it would be MCA and Gerakan holding 40 seats in the parliament, not the AP. And there is, I would argue, there is actually a time lag of about 10 years between the non-Malay voters and the Malay voters. So MCA has declined since 2008, then to 2013 and 2022, almost being wiped out. And UMNO decline comes about 10 years later from 2018, 2022. And if the government cannot change this, if the government cannot change its mindset, prepare to become, to compete with the oppositions on a level playing field on policies and so on, but hoping to use patronage to undermine uh, the opposition, not just UMNO, but even PH, the Malay parties in PH, may go down the way of MCA. Chinhuat, thank you very much for speaking to us. That was political scientist Dr. Wong Chinhuat of Sunway University talking to us about political reforms and the kind of progress that's being made in the first 100 days. 7.49 a.m. We are heading into some messages, but when we come back, we're going to discuss the outlook for China's economy. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, Download the BFM app.